really good to be with you all, and I'd like to open this morning by praying together, so pray with me. Lord, you tell us that this book that we're about to open and talk about, that these words that we're about to read are living and active, that they're sharper than any double-edged sword, that they penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And that's good news for us. Because, Lord God, we need you to come and do a work on our hearts, on our souls. We're not who we want to be. We're not who you created us to be. But you, Lord, by your spirit and in using this word can shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. And you promise to do that through your word. So, Lord, would you have your way with us this morning? Lord, would you remove any distractions? Would you remove any... Yeah, any sin patterns that, that have hold of us? All, all the busyness that crowds in on our minds and our hearts that would keep us from hearing you, from seeing you, from meeting with you. Lord, would you in your kind mercy remove those things and help us to hear your voice, to see the glory of your face, in your word. And as a result, Lord, would we be a, a changed people? Pray that we would not go out of here the way that we came in here, but that we would be made more like Jesus because of our time in the word. And we ask it in his name and for the sake of his glory. Amen. Well, as you heard a few moments ago from Dean, my name is Joe Slater. I am married. My wife, Terry, is with me. We've been married 34 years. We have five grown children, and we have some grandchildren, too. And so, yeah, we've been gathering here uh, at Lake Norman this week to just be together. I've done youth and college ministry for about 30 years, most recently with RUF the last 10 years as campus minister at James Madison University, and I have moved over to the side of RUF. By the way, RUF is Reformed University Fellowship. It's the campus ministry arm of our denomination, just to help you know what that is. And, th and then I moved over to the side from like national campus side, domestic campus, over to international. So I'll be overseeing the works of RUF International from New York down to Georgia as well as Mexico and the country of Colombia, because, you know, they're all close to each other. <laughs> so I've got the East Coast and, and then those two countries. So, uh, and, and basically my job will be pastoring and coaching those RUF campus ministers who serve international students in, in those places. So real privilege to be doing that. I, I also want to say it's a real privilege to be here with you all this morning. You, you have been a wonderful church. Uh, for, for my daughter and my son-in-law, who we love so dearly. And, and you're an answer to our prayer, like parents pray for this. And, and so thank you. Y'all have been an answer to prayer for us that, that they would plug into a good church. Thank you for being 
that good church. And thank you doesn't seem like enough, but yeah, just wanted to say that. Well, we're going to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes looking into God's word. And why, why do we do this? We do it because God is kind to show us himself through his word. God is also kind to show us how the universe is supposed to work in his word. And, and that includes us, like how our lives will flourish and grow. And so it's a real privilege to, to come to his word, but at the same time that we come to his word, we're not God. God has spoken. God has given us his word, and that's hard for us finite, fallible, weak creatures to get our minds, to get our wills in line with the word of God. So if, if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, if you've got struggles with what you hear today or with Christianity in general, would you find me afterward or, or find one of the leaders of this church? You have good leaders. Ben, I think, would be, can I just throw you out there, <laughs> would be willing to talk with you about Christianity. D don't go this alone. Like, God has put us into community, and, and it's wonderful to be able to ask and talk about those questions together. So find me, find one of your leaders here, and we can, we can talk through some of those things. Well, we're going to talk the next 25 or 30 minutes a lot about faithfulness this morning. Why are we doing that? Because faithfulness is a really big deal in the Bible. A few examples of why it's a big deal. First, it's one of the most common descriptors used to tell us what God is like. In fact, way back in Exodus, when, when God is explaining to Moses who he is in just two or three verses he gives a description of himself, and faithfulness is in that brief description that God uses of himself. So faithfulness describes God. Second reason it's a big deal. Faithfulness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all know that list in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, get ready, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine qualities, fruit that God grows in us as his spirit is at work in us and through us. And, and this list of nine qualities is not a list that we can pick and choose from. They are the marks of every true Christian. So faithfulness isn't just a, de a descriptor of God. Faithfulness is something that should describe us as his people. And then lastly, as we look for leaders, which y'all are in a search right now for a pastor. As we look for leaders to serve in the church or, or any ministry, one of the first qualities we should look for is faithfulness. Faithfulness is a big, big deal. So think about this question for a moment. What do you think about when you think about faithfulness? What do you think about when you think about faithfulness? A another way to do this, think about the most faithful person you know. What is it about him or her that makes them faithful? I actually want you to have some answers in your head on this one. So take a moment and think about those questions.
when I think of faithfulness, I think of someone who is humble, trustworthy, loyal, servant-hearted, not just when others are watching, but servant-hearted all of the time, fully committed to God and fully submitted to the word of God. That's someone who is faithful. And for all who follow Christ, we are called to be a faithful people. Jesus tells us a parable in Matthew chapter 25 that's going to help us understand this call to faithfulness. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. I think it might be on the screen. No? No? Yeah, maybe? I don't know. Okay, in a moment. Okay, maybe the text won't be. Go ahead and open up the text on your phone or in your Bible. And I'm going to ask you all to do something a little different. Let's stand together as we read God's word just to honor him as we read his word. This is God's word. Uh, Verse 14, did I say that? Chapter 25, verse 14. Oh, it's up there. Yes, thank you. (laughs) All right, here we go. God's word. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. 
This passage shows up at the very end of Matthew's gospel, and it's one of the final teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew. In the very next chapter, Matthew 26, the narrative is going to move quickly toward the crucifixion, and so it's in that context that Jesus tells this parable about faithfulness, and I want to look at faithfulness from three different angles. If you're a note taker, here are your three kind of subheadings. The expectation of faithfulness, the source for our faithfulness, and then the consequences of faithfulness. The expectation of faithfulness, the source for our faithfulness, and then the consequences of faithfulness. Let's talk about each of those. The expectation of faithfulness. This parable is all about the master's expectation of faithfulness on behalf of his servants. He gave five talents, which, by the way, was a measure of weight. No one knows exactly how much that would have been, but everybody agrees that this was a, an enormous sum. Think like a million dollars for each talent. So for the one who was given five talents, five million dollars to that servant. Two talents or two million dollars to the next, and then one talent, one million to the third servant. And the expectation was that the servants were to steward or to invest the money in a way that brought growth and profit to the master's investment. And and you see there from the parable that the first two servants did just that. They invested the talents, they doubled the master's money, but the third servant did nothing. He hid the money. And the money just sat there doing nothing. No investment, no growth, no return. In the parable, God is pictured as the master and we're pictured as his servants. God, our master, has given us resources and talents that we are expected to steward for God's glory. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way, and and this will be on a slide because it's a long quote. I think, yep, here we go. That's the end of it, by the way. Anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible, all of it, all of it are talents. The point of this story is that waiting for Christ's return and being ready for it are not passive matters. We must work faithfully and energetically for him now. Waiting for Christ's return and being ready for it are not passive matters. We must work faithfully and energetically for him now. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given talents and resources by God, and he expects you to use them for his glory. All that you have, all that you are, are to be directed to the end of God's glory. Your time, your money, your vocation, 
your relationships, your thoughts, your words, your actions, all of it, all of it is to the end of the glory of God. So how do we live out this faithfulness in real and and practical ways? Let me give you a few, four to be exact. First, get in the game. Get in the game. Get off the sidelines and do something in service to God. Be willing to move outside your comfort zone and take risks. Self-absorption and self-protection lead to burying our talents. I'd point you to a better way. Trust God and take risks by getting in the game. Faithfulness requires being active, and being active comes with risk. Second, be dependable. Be dependable. When you say you'll do something, do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. People should be able to trust what you say. Faithfulness and dependability go hand in hand. Third, be willing to commit to good things. Be willing to commit to good things. We so often give in to FOMO, fear of missing out, or FOBO, fear of better offer, that we're unwilling to commit to good things. And we have a tendency to not commit when that thing doesn't meet our idea of fun. Here's how Jesus would respond to that. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Following Jesus means that we die to self and we follow him, even when it's not about fun and it's not about us. And so be willing to commit to good things simply because they glorify God and they bless others. Fourthly, faithfulness to God means being faithful whatever the circumstances, whatever the circumstances. Whether you're facing temptation or suffering, stay true to what God has called you to do. Whatever it is you're in the middle of, whatever it is that you're facing this day, walk the walk. Be faithful whatever the circumstances. One pastor challenged his people to ask these questions. And again, it's a longer quote, so it'll be on the slide behind me. What are the things I'm most serious about? What are the things I take most seriously in my life? Does the way I order my life give evidence that ultimately the most serious issue in the world for me is channeling everything for the glory of my returning master. Is that the thing I take most seriously? Faithfulness is channeling everything, all that you have and all that you are, for the glory of your returning master. Jesus will return. He will return. And he expects to find us faithful. Will he find you faithful? Well, God calls us to faithfulness, and as he does, he himself, he himself is the source for our faithfulness. Think about this. In this parable, Jesus could have used any sum of money to get his point across. He didn't have to go so big with with the sum of money. 
But he wasn't just conveying the expectation for our faithfulness. He was also putting on full display the outrageous generosity of the master. The master entrusted to these servants five million, two million, one million, respectively, because he was lavish in his generosity toward them. The first two joyfully took what the master had given. They invested it and they came out with 100% return on their talents. The third servant did nothing with his talent. He hid it. And then he had nothing to show for it when the master returned. And did you see why he hid the talent? Look, Look at his own words. He accused the master of being a hard and a harsh man. And so out of fear, He hid the talent. His lack of faithfulness was due to a wrong view of the master. His lack of faithfulness was due to a wrong view of the master. You see, our faithfulness rises or falls based on our view of God. Indulge me for a second. Go with me on a little bit of a tangent. And again, it's a little bit longer. I'm going to go through a few verses. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along. I'll only do two sets, Lamentations 3 and Psalm 36. But just listen to these words about God. Uh, And I'll, I'll bring it back around. I'll tell you why we're doing this at the end of this. Lamentations 3. Some of you probably have memorized this well-known passage. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Doesn't matter what you've done. They are new. Those mercies are new for you every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Shift to Psalm 36. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save. O Lord, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Here's why we just read that question. Does any of that sound like a God who is hard and harsh? Growing up, my relationship with my dad was not a great one. It was a solid 3.5 on a scale of 1 to 10. I tended to view him as a drill sergeant who had unrealistic expectations and unfair demands, so I spent a lot of my time just avoiding him. But as I matured and as he sweetened, as he got older, he got sweeter. I grew in my love and my affection for my dad. And we grew to a wonderful 9.5 on that scale for the last few years of his life. I no longer avoided him. I looked forward to being with him, even though 
physically it got harder because we were making meals, cleaning the house, doing yard work, caring for him. But you know what? I did those things gladly because I loved him. And I knew that he loved me. See, your faithfulness rises or falls based on your view of the Father. How you see him will be the inevitable source of your faithfulness. So really important question for you. How do you see God? How do you see the Father? Do you see him in light with the lens of Lamentations 3, Psalm 36? And y'all, those are two passages out of how many I could have pulled from Scripture about God's goodness, his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness to us. Is he the harsh and unjust master of the third servant or is he the generous and gracious master of the first two? The more you see God's faithfulness, the more you will grow in your faithfulness. Did you catch that? The more you see and understand God's faithfulness, the more you will grow in your faithfulness. And how you view him will make all the difference. Well, God calls us to faithfulness. He himself is the source for our faithfulness. And there are consequences for our faithfulness or lack thereof. There are consequences. If you look back at verses 21 and 23, we see the master's words of commendation of those two faithful servants where he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Come and enter into the joy of your master. But that's not what he said to the unfaithful servant, was it? To the unfaithful servant, he said this, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. He then took the talent from that servant and he gave it to the first one and he threw the worthless servant out into the inner, outer darkness and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There were consequences both for the faithful servants and for the unfaithful servant. For the faithful, there was joy and abundance. For the unfaithful, there was condemnation and judgment. God takes faithfulness seriously. So seriously that eternal glory and eternal judgment rest on it. Jesus could not be clearer on this. But don't hear what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that by your faithfulness you can earn or you can merit eternal glory. You can't. You simply can't be faithful enough for that. Your sin is too great and your transgressions too deep. So what is your hope for eternal glory? Well, it's not our faithfulness. It's the faithfulness of Jesus. He was faithful to keep the law at every point. 
He was the one who knew no sin. He was the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to give us his perfect righteousness. And this double transfer, our sin placed upon Jesus, his righteousness placed upon us, this double transfer is applied to us as we believe in him by faith. So have you believed in Jesus? Have you put your trust in him to forgive your sin and to make you new and to be Lord over all of your life? It's a really important question because faith in Jesus, how you answer that question is where faithfulness begins. And it's how faithfulness grows. And God will reward that faithfulness and he will judge unfaithfulness. And and please here, as I talk about God's judgment, as I talk about consequences, not an attempt to scare us into obedience. That, That would do no good. Like you might go out of here charged up, ready to go and obey in faithfulness for like a day or two. And then that'd be it. What I'm doing is simply stating what Jesus has said in this parable. There will be consequences for faithfulness and for unfaithfulness. As part of raising our five children, Terry and I had to discipline our kids from time to time. Yes, even Anna. I know, a shocker. So when they stepped out of line, we might have put them in a timeout or or taken away a privilege or send them to bed early or even use a spanking as a way of correcting them. And in every case, the discipline was meant for their growth and their good. And that discipline was always carried out with love and with justice. You see, love and justice were not opposed to each other. In fact, they went hand in hand for the growth of our children and the good of our family. That's what God is like. In him, love and justice go hand in hand. He rewards faithfulness and he judges unfaithfulness. Will you come to him and will you trust in him by faith? Will you live in faithfulness and will you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter into the joy of your master? Or will you walk in unfaithfulness And hear the words, you wicked and slothful servant. There are consequences for our faithfulness. Last thought. A few months ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday back in April. It's the day where Jesus rode into Jerusalem fully knowing that he was moving toward his crucifixion. He was faithful to the end. He was faithful at an incalculable cost. And he was faithful for you and for me. He was faithful because we fail in our faithfulness. We fail big and we fail often. But Jesus was faithful to pay the price for our unfaithfulness. So Jesus is both our model and our motive for our faithfulness. He is our model because no one has ever shown greater faithfulness than Jesus did in his living and dying. And he is also the motive for our faithfulness because he has been so faithful to us 
We want to live lives that are faithful to him. And so faithfulness is not a duty. It's not a duty. It's a delight. So is Jesus your model and your motive? Will you be faithful as he was faithful? And will you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest? May God make us a faithful people as he was faithful. Let's pray. Lord, that is the the cry of our hearts, that you would make us a faithful people as you were faithful. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were indeed faithful on our behalf, faithful to the point of the cross, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our unfaithfulness in its so many forms could be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Lord, so far have you put our sin away from us, and we're so, so grateful. Lord, out of that gratitude, out of that joy, and out of that love by which you have first loved us, help us, enable us, and by your spirit work in us faithfulness. We long to be faithful as Jesus was faithful. Lord, do it for the glory of your name and the good of your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.